Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. We're coming to you live this evening from Disney's Hollywood Studios here in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It's a lovely evening, and I'm just grateful to be in this setting to provide you this podcast. As May comes to a close and summer starts up in June, we're here to update you on all the greatest Disney happenings here and afar. We'll start at the Walt Disney World Resort, where the new Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind has now officially opened. We'll update you on the latest with that, and, and then merge those issues with the new Genie Plus changes that have come about in the last month. From there, we'll head over to the uh, not-so-happiest place on Earth, where a number of problematic events have been occurring at the same time some wonderful things have been returning. Despite new entertainment and character openings this month, there are some real struggles with attractions and with annual pass holder options. After that, we'll talk about Disney Plus and some unique and strange options that have come through that entertainment option. It's a busy update, so join us in this latest podcast before I head out in just a few days to Disneyland Paris. By the way, make sure you subscribe to us at DisneyAtPlay.com where you'll actually see uh, images and links and other uh, key points that we'll make in this podcast as we go along. We thank you for joining us. And anytime you can subscribe to Disney at Play or make sure you subscribe to this podcast where you're listening, offer a review, a good rating. That always helps the, uh, the uh, smallest, uh, the littlest podcast that ever could. Um, to help come along. So, at any rate, we're glad to have you. Let's, uh, let's start over at Epcot, where um, Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind, it went through a lot of previews in May, and at the end of the month, it came out as uh, open and ready for business. And honestly, I think that the ride, for the most part, has been about as reliable as a new roller coaster style attraction could be. Doesn't mean it doesn't have its down times, and when it's down, it's not a pretty picture. Notwithstanding, um, there's a couple of mixed reviews coming out of it. It almost seems like most attractions experience a sort of U-shaped review where some really love it, some really hate it, and uh, most are somewhere in the middle, maybe skewing upward. In this case, I almost feel like this new attraction is more of a U-shaped curve. Either you really love it or you really don't like it. And in fact, I've had a number of colleagues who have gone on it and frankly have been fairly ill as a result of going on it. My friend David Zanola didn't quite care for it. And he had multiple opportunities to go on it. Um, took advantage of the first initial ones, but then kind of didn't really... Uh, didn't really seem to have the energy toward doing it again and again. And so, um, and they, and he's not the only one. Others have been in the same place as this uh, new attraction is open. Uh, I had the opportunity this evening to uh, head over to Star Tours, which at Disneyland is celebrating its 35th year of running. I cannot believe it has been that many years that Star Tours has been running. I was not there on that very crazy opening that they had for that attraction, but I was there that summer. 
and I remember uh, there were some very long crowds. So if you if you're not big on the virtual queue, know that it could be a whole lot worse. I mean, in the three, four, five hour range, if there wasn't a virtual queue. Of course, if you don't get into the virtual queue, then you miss altogether if you didn't get a chance to get in on the select lightning lane uh, additional payment uh, package. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, in truth, uh, while I'm here on Star Tours, let me just say, I thought at that time, how weird to have, um, what was the 20th Century Fox creation, a guy named George Lucas, people who had nothing to do with the Walt Disney Company, and here they were, they were putting a ride from them in it. I mean, Star, I had already seen um, the first three Star Wars movies, and there were there were very good movies. That Empire, the uh, the Empire Strikes Back, I thought was the best, uh, perhaps the best Star Wars movie ever, and yet. I'm still thinking, this isn't Disney. This isn't part of the Disney group. Why is it here? Now it's, you know, I'm sitting here in Galaxy's Edge and it's just part of, it's just part of the vibe. I'm going to Paris and Star Tours is present there as well. And they're looking to eventually do a new extension uh, with that over at the Walt Disney Studios Paris Park. So it's, it's so much a part of the Disney culture right now. Love how they decide to yell across the, uh, the way here to find their kid. Anyway, as, as strange as it was, I can, appreciate, uh, I can appreciate how people might feel when they think about Guardians of the Galaxy actually being in Epcot. It seems kind of out of place. And I totally get that vibe. I can see how people might feel that way about the attractions. So uh, at the same time, I don't think 10, 20 years from now, um, I don't think 10, 20 years from now we'll be thinking the same thing. I think it will just seem part of the landscape. But of course, and by the way, I should also mention, this is why I kind of went to the Star Tours rabbit hole anyway, is, uh, is because a lot of people went on that simulator ride and they got sick. And so is it any surprise that, hey, fast forward 35 years later from now, we got people getting sick off of uh, Cosmic Rewind. Not surprising. In the interim, people got sick off Body Wars, a simulator attraction very similar to Star Tours. People got sick on Mission Space in big ways. Um, so it's not surprising to see that same thing carry out. I think, I think in the initial days, months, maybe even years of an attraction. Uh, people go on it uh, the first time and those who just don't like that kind of attraction or how it makes them feel, they winnow out. And then the idea of people getting sick um, kind of goes away. I don't think you see it as often after that. But, um, but they have started offering uh, uh, little bags, barf bags, to guests as they, were, as they are exiting the attraction. And... Uh, and uh, it's not, again, going back to that U-shaped curve. There are some people who do not like it. And at the same time, there are some people who really, really do like what's going on there. And, they, and I would not call this the best attraction ever, even at Walt Disney World. But some are. And some feel like this is really a great attraction. I think on many levels it is for, for me personally. But, 
in, in the spirit of uh, people who think this is a really good attraction, it started out in the initial weekend with a select lightning lane price of $17. I think it went back to $14 as of Tuesday. Uh, well, actually, that's, uh, that's today that I'm recording. And uh, um, so it's, it's uh, I think, Rise was the highest at $15 um, on uh, busy, crowded days. And yet, here's the challenge, and this is how we're working ourselves into the Genie Plus conversation. Um, people, are, people are getting it. People are willingly paying that $17 for the opportunity to get a Lightning Lane Select uh, opportunity to ride it. Um, and those uh, passes are going so fast. Going so fast that people who are not staying in the resort really uh, at a Disney resort hotel are not getting an opportunity to, to get in on it because uh, those staying at a Disney resort can, can check in and purchase that option at 7 a.m. The others have to wait until the hour it opens. Now, uh, you go to, and the same thing is happening to a slightly lesser but still a very strong degree at Rise of the Resistance and at uh, Flight of Passage. I noticed about an hour in, uh, they had barely sold out the 10th hour, 10 o'clock hour of the morning for Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, uh, which is the major one at uh, Magic Kingdom. But definitely it's going out. And that then creates the new problem of, well, trying to get into the virtual queue. Now, fortunately, uh, the virtual queue allows you to try to get in um, um, first thing in the morning, um, that's a whole lot better to do it virtually than what was happening with Rise of the Resistance before the pandemic, where we were all standing in front of Disney's Hollywood Studios and getting escorted in. And then at some crazy hour of the morning, 536, 630, it changed, 7, it changed over time, depending on the day. Um, we were all trying to get in and we had all made the journey. So I'm glad we don't have to all go into a park to see if we can get that virtual pass but notwithstanding um, those virtual passes they're going fast as well and if you are not right then and there I mean the same thing as was with Rise of the Resistance you can be out of your option by uh, you know within two or three seconds after the clock turns to 7 a.m. It goes that quickly for, for the guests. And that becomes problematic. Add to that, you can't even join up with Genie Plus. Um, you can't even join up for Genie Plus until after midnight the day of. Now, th that seems kind of really weird. And honestly, it's not a problem from the point of view that I looked at the studios this morning and... I could get onto Genie Plus at 6.30 a.m. That wasn't a hard thing to sign up for Genie Plus at that hour. So you don't most likely have to be there at 12.01 a.m. But know that um, uh, it could go. It could go very quickly after midnight. And there's a possibility that there is no option to go on Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind because, well... Uh, 
uh, Genie Plus sold out, and then we you weren't staying at uh, a Disney Resort hotel. So this is a problematic kind of situation. By the way, they're doing that after midnight, not to punish guests into staying up after midnight. They're doing that because it allows them to not have to give travel agents a percentage of the gross for having pre-sold that Genie Plus option. And so Disney's able to pocket a little bit more uh, of the money in that regard. And that's probably the reason that is occurring more than anything. But all of it kind of adds up to uh, an experience that makes the whole of it kind of frustrating and difficult to to manage as a guest. I mean, it was kind of nice to be able to turn to your agent and say, hey, go ahead and grab us, you know, those Genie Plus passes and get those on the ticket right up front so we don't have to hassle with that uh, with that later. So, but all of that is is um, is now required to do after midnight. So, uh, all of it's a little crazy. Now, what's been the result of all this is that Bob Chapek in the last annual report noted that there has been a 40% increase in per caps. That is specifically and largely due, I mean, mind you, uh, my, uh, my blue milk this evening cost me $9.04 after tax. So they've gone up in price over the last couple of years. But uh, the larger percentage of that increase is due to Genie Plus. That, in their view, has been successful in terms of raising per caps in the park. That's, that's huge to, um, to, to guess. Also, it wraps around to, um, you know, when they got rid of Magical Express and some of the ni- other little niceties of staying at Walt Disney World on property. A lot of people, including the agents, were saying, I don't know why anybody would stay on Disney property. You might as well just be staying at a nicer hotel off the property for a lesser price and driving over. It's cheaper and yada, yada. Well, if your opportunity to get uh, Lightning Lane Select uh, attractions ahead of everybody else uh, comes as a result of staying on property and, and you're staying in a deluxe property, which gives you a chance to go do those Select Lightning Lane attractions after the park has closed when everybody else has left. Assuming you still have to make a virtual pass for that. But when you add up all these kinds of little things, then all of a sudden now guests are saying, yeah, I guess if I want to do these and I want to guarantee doing these, I pretty well have to stay on property. So that's why uh, there is now more of a benefit to staying on property than people uh, saw a year ago uh, before this entire program was introduced. Um, it's also why making reservations makes sense because making those reservations up uh, getting those reservations up front means that you have the opportunity to make a reservation for the park and it's more fully guaranteed uh, up front. And Disney likes that. Disney likes to have your money up front as soon as they can because they can sit on the interest of that. You might not think that so much, uh, but sitting on that percentage of uh, sitting on that room the, the amount you've paid for that room and for those Disney tickets that's several thousand for a family of four and that's money they get to sit on six, eight months, 12 months, whatever in advance of your stay 
you accumulate that to tens of thousands of people staying on property. And that is a, that's a big part of how Disney makes the bottom line. Now, it sounds all crass and, and I, I can see how people feel that way. At the same time, Disney is also saying, hey, this beats having to wait in line for five hours and then get to the front and realize this thing is going to, you know, the ride's not operating and you're out after having waited five hours. So they're giving up more options, but I, you know, I make no pretense. Those options come at a price. And that price is a bottom line benefit to Disney at the end of the day. Let's talk about uh, some of the happenings happening over at Disneyland. I mentioned earlier that this week is the 35th anniversary of Star Tours in that park. It came over in uh, January, officially in January of 1990 here at Disney's Hollywood Studios. A few years after it premiered at Disneyland. Um, and, uh, And by the way, there would be no... In my view, there would be no Disney um, ownership of Lucasfilm if there had not been a Star Tours. Star Tours truly paved the way for making that happen. And when um, the new adventures of Star Tours opened a few years ago, and they came, and George Lucas came over uh, to Orlando to help Bob Iger reopen the attraction. He had breakfast with uh, Bob at the Hollywood Brown Derby that morning, all by themselves. And it was in that conversation that George Lucas entertained the idea of selling Lucasfilm to Disney. And uh, there are a few out there, diehard Star Wars fans that don't like that. But I don't think think the legacy of Star Wars would have continued uh, with the films and Mandalorian and all that we've seen there if there had not been that dialogue on the day Star Tours reopened as the new adventures. I also will say that I would not be standing right now at (laughs) at Galaxy's Edge. Uh, This, I don't know, maybe this would be a Cars Land. Uh, I should just talk about Cars Land for a moment because uh, this was a really bad week um, the last few days for Radiator Springs racers. What happened is there was... Um, there were guests seated, belted inside of a car that started to produce smoke. Now, no one was hurt. Nothing, nobody was injured. And I don't even know the extent of the injury uh, to the, or the, the damage to the car. Uh, but the, here's the problem that occurred in that moment. That moment that smoke happened, those guests needed to get out. And those guests could not get out because of the way that seatbelt uh, system is devised. And so they were all literally stuck on that vehicle. That's a big flag. And Disney has had to stop and basically take down that ride indefinitely while they figure out why the smoke occurred, what, was the, what could have been the result of that, and to not only address it, but to address how they are going to handle egress in the case of a car having that kind of emergency again. How are they going to to provide a way for guests to safely and efficiently and quickly uh, get out of the ride vehicle? So 
Radiator Springs is down, and that's a big bummer because Disney California Adventure is, you know, has gotten the new Adventure Campus, and it's got Pixar Pier, but, but boy, a centerpiece for Disney California Adventure is Radiator Springs and Radiator Springs Racers. So that's a real bummer that <clears throat> that is not uh, that is not running right now. Now, good news is lots of other things have reopened this uh, this last month. First of which has been not only the World of Color, but the Main Street Electrical Parade, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. And I am sorry I keep telling you stories of I was there, but I was there 50 years ago in 1972 when the Main Street Electrical Parade opened. It was bedazzling. It was the same year that Bear Country opened. They saw that the Country Bear Jamboree was so successful at the Magic Kingdom at opening. They built uh, not one but two theaters and an entire land um, in what was formerly uh, the Indian Village in on the very end of Frontierland. It later would become Critter Country when Splash Mountain was added. But, um, but Main Street Electrical Parade, a lot of people don't remember what that original... Uh, parade looked like. A lot of the original floats were kind of flat. Think of the uh, think of the uh, procession that occurs out on on Bay Lake and uh, Seven Seas Lagoon. You know, those are all flat kind of things. And most of them were flat at the time. Uh, There was no Elliot. Pete's Dragon was still several years from being developed. There was a dragon, but it was kind of a Chinese style dragon going down the street. It was a very uh, very different uh, looking parade back then, but there were still some elements. And any rate, it was great to see that it came back out uh, this last month, along with uh, World of Color, which is just a terrific show for Disney California Adventure. Also, this last weekend, Fantasmic restarted over at Disneyland on uh, on the Rivers of America. It looked beautiful. It looked great, and um, I love that show, but I really look forward to seeing the possibility that this show reemerging here at, right here at Disney's Hollywood Studios could potentially be even better than the one at Disneyland. And, and add the fact that you actually get a seat to actually watch the thing without having to stand up in a compacted crowd waiting for the this could be huge so i'm very uh i'm anticipating the excitement of that another show opened uh, in the Fantasyland theater at disneyland called uh, tale of the lion king it is a retelling seems a little bit in some ways more akin to the how the hong kong Festival of the Lion King is scripted out. Now, they have a lot more show elements and dance elements in this, uh, in the Hong Kong version. But in the difference between the Hong Kong version and Festival of the Lion King here is that here we kind of celebrate different songs and, and the music. There in Hong Kong, they kind of tell the story. And it looks like this one does the same, too. There's not, you don't see Pumbaa all dressed up or anything or um, Simba out there. You see really... Um, cast members who are reenacting the story and and, uh, uh, African wear and that type of thing, costuming. Um, Any rate, uh, I've heard great things about Tale of the Lion King, so that's that's all good stuff. 
Um, now I got to go downhill on this conversation. I hate this so much. So probably I think the worst news altogether of any news I'm going to report in this podcast is that uh, their annual pass sales at Disneyland have completely stopped. They call it Magic Key Program. They had four tiers to that program. Uh, two of those tiers stopped around Christmas time. They were still selling two other tiers. And now all four tiers have stopped sales with a very uncertain future as to how guests will renew their annual pass or whether they get to renew it at all remains to be seen. It's, it's not a pretty picture. Now, behind the scenes of this is an individual who, frankly, was very frustrated with the fact that he bought what was, I believe, the top tier of the annual uh, pass, and he couldn't get any, he couldn't, he couldn't make a reservation. In fact, he was pretty well shut out an entire month from making a reservation, even though he was paying the top tier price. And so he's taken it to court, and the judge has, uh, uh, Disney tried to close the motion and, uh, and not go through it. The judge has stayed the motion and, and said that there will be a trial on this. So Disney has just simply put a stop to all of its annual pass sales here on out. And this future is very uncertain. I'd like to think that this has nothing to, that, that whatever outcome comes from this, has no bearing on annual sales for Walt Disney World. But as we kind of know, there are new annual sales of, uh, of uh, annual passes has been paused here as well at Walt Disney World. So um, this is particularly difficult. I, I was listening to um, uh, the Diz's uh, DVC podcast and Pete was talking about the impact of this, you know, people who have spent tens of thousands of dollars purchasing points for DVC, but they can't, uh, they can't buy an annual pass to come here on a regular, consistent basis. Uh, and I can see the frustration for annual pass holders. Now, not to go into a rabbit hole on this thing, but I have to tell you, and nobody who owns DVC is going to like this, so sorry, John and Lori, uh, if you're listening to this. But here's, here's my thinking on this. DVC is becoming a mature business, for lack of a better explanation. The, the years of just peddling out new DVC properties and new points and shoveling those out and getting people to buy and everything, that's come to a slowing at Disney now is sitting with, yes, Disney, uh, Disney takes care of its costs through the annual fees that you pay, and those aren't cheap annual fees. But, uh, but by and large, um, Disney's not making a lot to the bottom dollar. Now, of course, you come here and you spend money on tickets and you spend money on food and beverage and all that, but, but compared to now a hotel guest, who is also paying for their hotel room at a premium price. Well, it's not surprising that Disney moves its point charts around. They can't, um, they can't uh, change the total number of points allocated in a given year. But they can make the point 
range or the point uh, the points needed for a room during say Christmas week so high and above that very few DVC want to spend their points. That's okay because Disney can take those same rooms and they'll take them and they will go and sell those rooms uh, to guests who are willing to pay a big price for a two, maybe even a three bedroom villa. And so Disney's, these are little ways that Disney makes money. In fact, if I want to get down to the, ugh, the, the ugly part of it, um, Disney probably would be happier if you were to uh, if you were to give up on your DVC, not pay your dues, they take over the they take over however that happens. But uh, Disney would rather you sell off your DVC if they can get a decent price on it and turn it around and make a profit reselling it. They absolutely will, and uh, and they'll add maybe a few more years to the to the length of that deed if need be. But that's the way for Disney to really make money off of DVC. Somebody who has been doing DVC for a dozen years and is only paying dues, they're not making as much money to the bottom line of Disney as is somebody coming in and purchasing a suite or a similar uh, similar square footage uh, property uh, or hotel room on Disney property. So these are... Again, I don't want to be really down, but these are some of the things I'm just looking at and going, hmm, this this is not a good this is not a good way of doing business in the long term. But I'm I would not be surprised if Disney feels that way. The long and short of it is is annual they by stopping annual sales, even DVC guests, they're able to make a little bit more money off of selling you a ticket than they will ever make just selling you an annual pass. So it's probably for the most part in their best interest to sell you a ticket. Now, by the way, at the same time, Disney's coming by and selling some local annual pass, uh, annual ticket, or not annual, let me rephrase that. Disney is coming out with packages, ticket packages that go for as little as $84 a day because in their mind, they would rather get locals to go ahead and pay for that kind of ticket than to buy an annual pass. It is not in Disney's best interest on the bottom line. How this plays out at Walt Disney World, I just don't know. I hope that this is not um, the beginning of the end. I Hey, I'm an annual pass holder. So um, when somebody asks at the annual... Um, shareholders convention when are you going to bring back the premier pass bob chapek said well yeah let's look at that let's look at bringing that back <laughs> well let's just look at bringing back an annual pass as much less a premier pass premier pass allowed you access to both disneyland walt disney world uh it was a select pass very expensive towards the end of its 10 year before covid they were selling like 1900 2000 a year it was it was crazy expensive but um Anyway, that's kind of the, the down low on some of the things that are going on with the annual passes and its impact on not only Disneyland guests, but potentially here at Walt Disney World and across the board to individuals who are such as DVC older, holders. Let me just uh, end on a slightly better uh, backhanded note. Um, I, they at the... Uh, 
last Star Wars event that occurred um, a week or so ago, I think actually last weekend, they announced that Boba Fett and Fennec Shand and Mandalorian and even Grogu are going to start appearing at Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. Uh, this is cool. Guests are going to love that. In my opinion, I think they need to create a small theater and do some kind of Mandalorian Grogu show. Now, this comes... This ruins the the storyline time frame for Star Wars as to when this occurs. And by the way, there was nothing announced about this for Walt Disney World or specifically here at Disney Disney's Hollywood Studios. It may never happen, especially with the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. They're wanting people to book that for their premiere. In fact, I'm surprised. I'm surprised they haven't put those guys on the Star Cruiser. But then again, again, it comes out of the storyline. And But at this point, Disney is acknowledging, hey, maybe we're not having to stay in the storyline. Apparently, uh, that, that's the same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. It is out of the storyline given um, uh, Groot's age and, uh, and other factors that um, are there. So know that that's, uh, that's a reality um, for Disneyland. They're getting new characters. We'll see what happens here at Walt Disney World. Hey, while we're talking all things Star Wars, did you catch Obi-Wan Kenobi? And its premiere last Friday... Looking forward to the next episode tomorrow. I've seen a lot of feedback online. People who love it. I may not be one of those people. And it's not that I don't want to. I want to, I want to, I want to love it so badly. The little girl never, you know, the actors create never work with kids or dogs. And the girl, to me, she seems like a... Uh, uh, an entitled, spoiled little girl. She does not seem like Leia. Um, I, I don't see... And again, Princess Leia would say some things that would be very... Eh, maybe even sarcastic. But but she was smart and she was committed and she, she had a very... Um, a sober sense of her mission and what life is all about. I, this... this uh, uh, this is uh, this is a little bit of struggle, but I'm going to hang in there and hope you do too. We'll see if it gets a little better. Hoping it will do so. Um, not sure if you saw the new Chippendale Rescue Rangers. I have to say that was the most innovative and most disturbing thing I have seen on Disney Plus in a long while. I say innovative because it's very much in that in that spirit like uh, Roger Rabbit, where you are bringing cartoon characters from all over into this space, from outside Disney as well as inside Disney. You have Batman going against E.T. I mean, you just got all sorts of craziness going on. And I like that a whole lot. All of that is different and it's kind of weird and it's kind of cool. So I'm, I'm all in on that aspect. Here's where I struggle. The nemesis in this is, and i sorry, you may want to turn this off if you don't want a spoiler alert, but the nemesis in this is Peter Pan, who 
in the movie never grew up, but here he has grown up. And he looks pretty pathetic, and he looks pretty... Well, he's, he's very much um, um, upset with how the world has treated him and chooses to kind of get even and to get his revenge. And why I struggle with this, and I got to say the, the creators of this show, they know their animation. There is no question. They know, they know every possible character you could possibly put into these movies. It was just astonishing how many characters from Disney, inside and out, there were. And I have to respect their knowledge. But the one thing they missed is it was too close to the real actor who voiced the original Peter Pan. Uh, His name was Bobby Driscoll. He was really one of the first people, I think, well, definitely the first child, but but uh, one of the first people put under contract by Disney as an actor, he and Luana Patton did a number of shows. Uh, so Dear to My Heart was uh, one of those shows. Uh, he did Treasure Island, uh, another very cool show. And he voiced Peter Pan. And in his later years, he got himself into... I mean, he, he never was able to to grow up and out of the role. He couldn't get, he couldn't land very good parts. He couldn't sustain himself as an actor. He got himself in trouble. He got himself into some addictions. He got himself uh, out of alignment with the law. And ultimately his, his life ended in tragedy. And I just felt like, I felt like this was a statement about him, which was just a terrible terrible life event and I felt like this portrayal of Peter Pan in Chippendales uh, was disrespectful of that maybe they were clueless but for people who know their animation you'd think they'd know the people behind it so that's my take on that can I just end on a better note when it comes to Disney Plus I usually don't do Disney Plus reviews but I think what I want to do is do more of these um, kind of updates once a month uh, maybe at the end of the month or the beginning of the next month. Um, if you have not seen The Rescue, which deals with uh, the boys who were stuck in the, in the caves in Thailand, oh my goodness, watch. It's a National Geographic film. It is so good. And um, uh, it's so worth seeing. So do not miss the opportunity to see that. It's a feel-good movie. It's tense, but it's a feel-good movie, and you don't want to miss it. So going into June, what is next? Well, for me, uh, my wife and I are heading to Europe where we will spend a couple of days in London and then a couple of days north in the land of her ancestors, uh, Cottingham and um, that area and uh, experience uh, what her ancestors experienced. And then we'll head back to London and take a train down through the channel and on into Paris where we will spend uh, five days at Disneyland Paris. We are so, I'm so excited. It's been so many years. I've mentioned this on a previous podcast about Disneyland Paris. Check that out if you haven't already. In fact, um, make sure you checked out some of the podcasts we've done originally. Last podcast was on new, on a new Fifth Gate theme park at Walt Disney World. There is reason to the craziness of that podcast. 
you definitely need to listen to that if you haven't already. Plus, recent reviews on not only Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, but also new announcements for Epcot and then the new Connections restaurants. So if you haven't checked out all those podcasts, please do so. I think you'll enjoy them. We want you to... to ex- we, ju- we just have so much of Disney we want to bring to you. So definitely uh, take advantage of that. Again, thank you for being part of this podcast. And uh, in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.